big rocks and all that sort of thing. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to a, a particularly special edition of the Mick Wall podcast, because after very few minor notes people have sent, I wouldn't say complaining about the volume, but certainly making a note of it. Um, me and John have been fiddling with the microphones, and one of them has definitely got worse. So we've pushed them together as if we're on stage. We're Paul Rogers on stage at the Isle of Wight in 1970, taped them together, and now we're arms around each other's shoulders, aren't we, John? We're just seeing if, they, if we can work in this way. Look, you don't need to point. I can see it's a microphone. It's pointing at it like it. Well, this is the good one, though, isn't it? This yeah. is the good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if there is a little bit of, um, I don't know, what's the word? Not deterioration. That's too harsh a word. If there's a certain uh, panning. Or reversion to normal, the way you usually record me, which is I'm right the background. Yeah, because you like you do all this. You're like Rod Stewart with a microphone with your head back, whereas I'm more intimate. You know, I'm, I'm more of a Bob Harris. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Nob Harris. Yeah. Anyway, so um, uh, what are we doing first? Do Johnny first? Johnny first? Johnny first? No, I thought we would do... Uh, well, it's just a, if we... Okay. Go on, good, do it. You do it. You, you do what you want to do. It's your podcast. <laughs> okay. Um, I think we, we... Well, I've said it now, so we're going to... This particular one is kind of... It's a Dead Rock Stars, really, isn't it? I suppose it is, yeah. Yeah, welcome to a Dead Rock Stars. Our Dead Rock Star is Johnny Z, um, who sadly died, uh, I guess, end of last week, was it? Must have been, yeah, end of last week. Um uh, John Zazula. For those of you that may not know, Johnny Z um, was the founder, with his wife Marsha, who was also his business partner, founded Megaforce Records, who released the very first records uh, by Metallica, uh, Anthrax, King's X, many others. Um, uh, and he was a tremendous force of nature. So we're going to try and tell his story a little bit. Oh, yeah. I mean, Johnny Z was one of those characters in the sort of early era of Kerrang, probably alongside Rod Smallwood, probably alongside Peter Mensch, and uh, who else would you say? Sharon Osbourne. Sharon Osbourne. <laughs> yeah, who were, who were, you know, they became more than just managers. They became characters in their own right. Pete Angelus who managed Dave Lee Roth and the Black Crows, you'd probably put in that uh, room. The microphone is so far away, it won't pick up my yeah, phone. Yeah, no, it will, yeah. John's, I said, can you turn your phone down at least? I, I don't know how to. Yeah, and people wonder why we have a few audio problems. He doesn't know how to turn his phone down. Does anybody actually believe that? 
Whereas it's your phone's true. so important. It's true. You're like anyway, Logan so, Roy so, in, so in Succession. One of those, Johnny was one of those characters who existed, you know, within the Kerrang universe. Arlette Variki was another. You know, so they weren't in the bands themselves, but they were very much part of the universe. They had their own catchphrases. They had their own roles to play in the mag. And Johnny's catchphrase was very much, I'll let you do it. Moisha! Yeah. Moisha! Get in here! Moisha! So he, so Johnny was from New York, New, wasn't he? No, New, New Jersey. Jersey. New, New Jersey! Jersey. Yeah, so he had that sort of very Sopranos type voice. I remember um, uh, going around his house, uh, me and Ray Palmer, the, the late Ray Palmer, he who used to shoot all the lady killers yeah. photographs. Hello, darling. That was yeah. his catchphrase. <laughs> Hello, darling. Have you got anything to drink? Yeah. Not necessarily in that order. But we were around Johnny's house on a trip because Johnny also um, put out Ace Freely's oh, God, record. He, I can now say Mick Wall is so close he can now tap me when he wants, <laughs> as if I'm not paying attention. So when he said Ace Freely, then he tapped me on the arm. No, that, that's because I'm very tactile. Yeah, right. You know, it's like they say Italians speak with their hands, you know. I'm not Italian. No. But I have, I have the hands. <laughs> and um, so... We're around Johnny's house, and uh, uh, he goes, You like Morricone? I went, Sorry, who? Like, Morricone! I said, I don't know, thinking this must be a new thrash band he's discovered. Yeah. Love Morricone! Marsha! How much do I love Morricone? Oh, Johnny loves Morricone! <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, Okay, we'll put it on then. And he puts it on, and it's the theme to, like, the good, the bad. Yeah, the good, the bad, yeah. Ennio Morricone. Yeah. Uh, I went, oh, you mean Ennio Morricone? That's what I said, Morricone! And that's where Metallica um, yeah. got the idea yes, of... Yes, they um, have the ecstasy of the gold, don't they? It's that first heard at Johnny's house when they were just small ignorami. Um, but his story, um, and I didn't know this until many, many years later when I wrote my Metallica book, um... Because I, you know, I, I felt I, I never, I know you until I do my books. I realise uh, you really don't know until you go deep. But I, you know, like most things, I felt I had an idea of the story. I did not. Um, mm -hmm. He and Marsha started out with like a, a record stall in a market, and then that became an actual store where you could walk in, and that became the label. But what he told me, which I, I didn't know, was. Um, he was actually in jail. Yeah, I heard he was in jail, yeah. Yeah, I, I never heard this before uh, I, I interviewed him for the book, and, and I interviewed Marsha. And was it something to do with, didn't he work in the city or something, and he got busted for, yeah. <laughs> well, it's typical in the way of the 80s, the early 80s, he got busted for, you know, well, insider trading. Oh, well, that's a very harsh, something, a something. harsh, a harsh way of looking at it. Don't forget it's the era of Wall Street and mm, greed. That's what I'm saying, yeah. Um, so in the actuality, uh, I, I think there were what you might call white-collar crime. Exactly, which qualified him perfectly <laughs> for the music business. Turns out it really did. And, um, and he told me extraordinarily when Metallica, Lars inevitably, first sent Johnny um, a cassette of their demos... Um, and Johnny was like, yeah, I fucking love this. And he wants to 
I think Metallica. I think was literally the first record, as it were, Megaforce ever. Yeah, I, I, I thought he formed Megaforce in order to, to put the Metallica demos out. I think that's right. Cause I, he couldn't get a deal with them, um, and he was telling me extraordinarily. He was in this for a while. I think he was maybe in a regular prison or some kind of prison, and then in a sort of a halfway house prison. But he had to use the payphone in the hall with all the prisoners waiting to use the phone and he said he'd be talking to Lars going yeah it's gonna be great and he's putting on a gig for him locally uh people love the tape all that stuff meanwhile in the background you can hear come on man fucking hurry up I want to ring my old lady yeah <laughs> I don't know if it was, I've spoken to someone on the phone in prison and it is very noisy indeed it doesn't sound fun but that he made his business calls like that and uh and Marsha told me that they were so poor uh, and so struggling at the time while Johnny was away. Yeah. And they they had their, their youngest had just been born, maybe two of them, but there was a baby for sure. And she said, I, I just couldn't cope. And she said the, the lawn outside the house, in front of the house, grew to be like shoulder height to the point where uh, one of the neighbours knocked on the door and said, look, I know you've got troubles. I'll mow your lawn. And, and the neighbours kind of rallied round wow. and um, and helped them out. Um, and there was something about Johnny and Marsha that was really folksy and and uh, would help help a brother out, you know. Yeah, I think this was the thing of why Johnny became a bit of a star in the pages of Kerrang and elsewhere was he was approachable. You know, he was an approachable guy. You could ring him up. He was great for a quote. And he'd tell you, you know, he wasn't one of these people who thought, uh, you know, took like the recording of an album to be as secret as, you know, I mean, he'd been, he'd been inside a trading. He'd tell you about his albums. There's no secrets with Johnny. And also he was that in amazing passion. I mean, he... An enthusiast. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it was all on the surface in that brilliantly American way, which... You know, to simplify in my mind, I always think of it as a kind of a blend of uh, Johnny was was uh, Jewish. I don't know if there was any Italian or Irish, but to me, that kind of upfront thing, that out putting it all out there, is a, kind of like a blend of Italian, Irish, and Jewish. It's all like we were saying, speaking with your hands and just out there. You know, something's wrong with you. You 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 say, you know. Um, and he was like that, and and uh, so he put out the first two Metallica albums. Yeah, well, yeah, I tell you, what, answer me this because I was reading some of the uh, the tributes and the you know the online messages and so on. Inevitably, Metallica had spoken out, and Anthrax, and several of the bands that that he was involved with, the people that had, had worked in and around Megaforce, and they were telling the same story. And that story was that Johnny heard the Metallica demos, which I think at the time was called No Life Till, Till Leather, Leather, wasn't it? That's that was the name of it. And the story became that Johnny heard these demos and not only formed Megaforce, but was convinced from that moment that he had, and I quote, found the next Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Now, I've listened to early Metallica, <laughs> right? And it takes something of a leap to hear those early songs and think. This band are going to be like Led Zeppelin. 
So I wonder what it was that he heard that you think was present in those tapes that, uh, you know, certainly people like me, for example, just would not hear. I don't know. He, 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 he loved hard rock and metal. Um, he had that kind of New York, New Jersey sensibility of, and when I say New Jersey, I'm not thinking here of John Bon Jovi or even Bruce Springsteen. I'm thinking of Tony Soprano. Yeah. You know, yeah. He, or what was the Tony Soprano's one of his captains, a guy with that silver? Oh, so, uh, what's yeah. that guy called? Oh, what was the guy's name? I'm trying to think what his name was. I know the one you mean. He, he, life was pretty black and white for yeah, that guy. Yeah. And, and Johnny was kind of came across a bit like that. Hey, what the fuck? You know. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Johnny. Yeah. You know. Um, but I think he, he, he just, he loved the music. He I mean, he liked, I remember talking to him and he liked uh, the Dictators were like a late 70s New York. They were always portrayed as a punk band. But it just happened to be they came along when punk was the thing. They were just a really hard, rocking, metal New York band. Um, and, and he liked that sort of thing. And that scene, I'm struggling to remember the names now, but that, that, that real kind of hard rock metal scene. And I think... Um, in Metallica, I don't know. I think we just got to give him credit to say he he, he heard it before we did. He, he did, but even so, even when you think about the first Metallica record, and uh, it comes out, and I think I've said before, I remember seeing it in the shops, and on the cover <laughs> is a hammer <laughs> with blood <right laughs> around it. It's not like the four symbols, you know. It's not like Led Zeppelin in that respect. It's not like the photograph of the Zeppelin. Or something, mm, you know, no. it's a hammer covered in. And what it was gonna be, yeah, was a was a hand coming out of a toilet, holding a sword, holding. A sword. <laughs> How's because that for symbolism? Because it was gonna be called Metal Up Your Ass. Yes, it was. It was. So you know, again, where is the? The grandeur, I suppose, that that you need that will translate into stardom, record sales, all of those things that you know separate basically a bunch of kids pissing about to rock stars. I, that's an interesting point. I think I think it, it shows that he was a rebel. You know, he had a rebel heart. I mean, the fact that he had this big job in the city, working in finance, clearly. Uh, bent the rules in some re as they let's be mm. fair as all those thieving bankers do I'm not saying Johnny was a thieving banker I'm just saying it's dog eat dog in that world you know you, you need to do whatever you need to do to make a buck um, and I think Johnny related to that um, I think he used to have a lot of bikers coming to buy stuff at his stall you know he was a he was a man's man who kind of related to that stuff but I go to quick you saying that reminds me of a quick story he told me about that first album, it was going to be called Metal Up Your Ass. And apparently, um, uh, I, I, I don't know what you call it, but he kind of tested it on a few outlets and, and, and Walmart came back and said there was absolutely no way they would stock a record called Metal Up Your Ass. And apparently the band were, this had to be the title. Right? <laughs> so they're all sitting around his house. Because when they used to come to New Jersey, they'd all stay at Johnny's house. I remember Marsha saying it's a fucking nightmare, you know, um, particularly when Mustaine was in the band to begin with. Um, so Johnny said he came in the room, like, guys, I'm really sorry. You know, because they're like, no, go back, Johnny, and tell them it's got to be metal up your ass, you know. And he's going, guys, what can I tell you? They're not going to stop the record if we call it that. And apparently, Cliff 
Burton was sitting there reading a magazine and, and Johnny's like, well, what are we going to do? And apparently Cliff Burton looked up at Johnny and went, kill them all. Like, kill the record. Right, right. Kill them all. And he went, yeah. And somebody, probably Lars, went, hey. Hey, hey, that's a great time. Yeah. Hey, I thought of that. I thought of that. Didn't I, Cliff? We well, see, here's the interesting thing in, in, in the fact that, you know, Johnny... Uh, it would have identified quite quickly that Metallica were, you know, three, well, a stoner, a couple of bikers and a rich kid, yeah. basically. Yeah. I mean, maybe what he's tapping into as well as the music is the fact that a lot of that early drive and thrust and ambition comes from Lars. And the reason it comes from Lars is that he's seen a different kind of world to, to what the others have seen. You know, his dad was a tennis pro. He grew up a star he, tennis yeah, pro, yeah. Davis Cup player, exactly. grew art up well, collector. Yeah, grew up wealthy. And and last grew up wealthy. When you grow up like that, your horizons are broader. Mm. You know, you, you kind of think, yes, something will happen to me rather than no, you know, nothing ever happens to me. I'm just the, you know, like the kind of working which, class. Which is what would have happened to James Hetfield, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it was this it was this combination. Then when we come to a bit about anthrax as well. I always thought the weird thing about Anthrax was they were sort of four like skater blokes and Joey, the singer, who was <laughs> basically kind of wanted to be Vince Neil, but wasn't allowed to be because it was Anthrax. So when you saw him off stage, he'd have all his hair up and everything. And when he had to go on stage, he'd have flatten all his hair down and put a cap on, you know. Joey Belladonna. Joey Belladonna, that's right, yeah. Yeah. There was, um, uh, th this is all from memory, so uh, for the... Forgivers. Yes, for the actuality, may I point you in the direction of a certain biography, definitive Metallica biography written by a legendary rock writer. I think you'll agree, John. Um, <laughs> uh, but in, in there it explains, there's this great story about how Scott Ian from Anthrax was telling me that, yeah, they were all those things you just said. And then Metallica came along. And they kind of, from that, went, oh, you know, there's something here. Maybe we could incorporate that into what we're doing. And so Anthrax eventually, quite soon, actually, took that more into almost like a rap rock Well, thing. I mean, that was the time when you had this kind of weird blending. You'd had the Beastie Boys and Aerosmith collaborating. And there was a kind of... A sort of spiritual connection, I suppose, between rap, which was street music, particularly in New York, especially in New York, and and metal, which was street music. It was just different, you know, tribes of people coming together, really. So it did make sense that those things could somehow coalesce. And Johnny would have Metallica, um, uh, Anthrax had like a rehearsal space. You know, you can imagine those days, some old warehouse in New Jersey somewhere. And he had Metallica actually sleeping in it for a little while when him and Marsha couldn't take them at the house anymore. Um, so there was this, there was this right from the word go, they were all in that same little universe. Because, I mean, that's the thing you need in a band, isn't it? That's what Johnny needed from Metallica, especially, and, and Anthrax. Is, you know, you're just in it. You, you're there, you, you know, you're in it for whatever it takes. Sleeping in a warehouse doesn't matter. Sleeping in a car doesn't matter. Going on the road, living, you know, living off junk food, having no money, playing the show, having no clothes. You know, it, you're in it. You have to be in it. 
And and uh, this stuff is coming back to me. There was a group called Raven, wasn't there? I there think. was a British group. Yeah, the Gallagher Brothers. The, yeah. And I think Johnny put on a Raven gig in New York or New I Jersey think, or I somewhere. I think he did because Raven had a. They, you know, they were over in the UK and all of a sudden they went to New York and they became very slightly and mysteriously successful. And I think Metallica opened for Raven at some yeah. of the shows. Maybe Anthrax lower yeah. on the bill. I can't remember. Um, but there was also, ah, oh, I forgot what they were called. I was on the tip of my tongue. Twisted Sister were in this mix somewhere as well because they were, weren't they in New Jersey? Yeah, as they well? were very much so, yeah, yeah. Um, and so there but was they, this... But they'd kind of made it by then, hadn't they? Because they were sort of early, 81, 82, no, a bit like 83, 84, well, maybe they'd had... They know, were on their way. Their hit singles. Uh, and they'd been signed by Music for Nations. Yeah. Who then sign make a deal with Johnny? So Music for Nations are a European label, based, based, based in, in London. London yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, through the twisted Martin Hooker was the guy, the, the guy who owned and, and and led Music for Nations in those days. I think through Twisted Sister they got to know Johnny, and Johnny was like, "Here's what I've got," and so Music for Nations put out the first three Metallic albums. That's right. Yeah. Um, the third album, Metallica album in America, was put out by Elektra. By then, Metallica had uh, done the uh, the major deal. I mean, and, and Johnny was fucking pissed off. I mean, um, again, he told me this story, or Marsha told me this story, about how they'd be having meetings with Lars and Kirk and all these people that were in the group by then. I can't remember if it was Aunt Sally or Aunt Jay. But Lars was always, no mobile phones. So Lars was always going off to a call box. He had to ring, check on Aunt Jane or Aunt Sally, whatever it was. Yeah, she, she's really sick. You've got to check on. And he was ringing Peter Mensch yeah. uh, and Cliff Bernstein, who eventually became Metallica's managers. And they also managed Def Leppard and, oh God, everybody. Um, and I remember five years later being in Johnny's house. And I, now I realise five years is nothing. Um, but at the time, being quite taken aback at how angry he still was. Fucking mention, fucking thieves, thieves, they fucking stole from me. You know, because to him, it was all for one and one for all. I mean, you know, there's a reason why Anthrax and Slayer and all those other groups never became as enormous as Metallica. And it's partly music and it's partly lots of things. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. 
But the main difference, they had mentioned Bernstein yeah. managing. Yeah, that's right. They, they didn't kind of but stay in that ghetto. Exactly in the same way that Def Leppard, you know, with a, one of the new wave of British heavy metal bands at one point, you never think of them as that now. But, yeah, because the, they were the biggest band in the world come the late 1980s, you know, so in terms of record sales, for sure, biggest rock band. So, yeah, I mean, there comes a moment, and I'm sure Lars realised this, that you, you have to take that jump, and Johnny had established their early career. The legacy that Johnny got was he always had the credit and the kudos from having yeah. discovered and, and promoted those early Metallica records, and those records continue to sell. So he had a basis with which to form a business then. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 um, the other side of the coin uh, for losing Metallica was that he lost them to the best in the business, who then turned Metallica into this enormous cash machine, so that all their back catalogue uh, uh, continued to sell. And of course, like with so many groups, those early albums were seen as the real. Yes, yeah, that's what the fans' albums, especially Ride the Lightning, second the second record yeah. for sure. And and I don't know, I, you might not remember this from your biography now, but it didn't wasn't there some point Electra assumed the rights to those albums? Do they not have them now? Oh, uh, maybe. There, yeah, yeah, I'm sure that kind of came along at some point. But Johnny would or Megaforce would have done pretty well out of that. I'm sure. I'm I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. Um, but, and then, of course, you know, there were lots of other acts, but the, the big headline... We think he might have had Testament, but we can't remember. <laughs> Chuck, was it Chuck Billy, that guy? Chuck Billy and Testament. It rings a bell. Chuck Billy. He was another one. He, was well, another. he sounds like the kind of guy to be a friend a real, of Johnny's. Yeah, he was like a massive sort of beefy guy. You know, he was like terrifying. Um, anthrax. Did he have Death Angel? Morbid Angel? I don't know. He had someone like someone angel. <laughs> oh, oh well. Yeah. Good story. You want to know about rock? Yeah, you come to me. <laughs> Do you know what though? I, I, uh, he definitely had, um, because T- Twisted Sister had this, The Dictators had this, Metallica had this early doors, uh, Anthrax for sure, uh, and a lot of that early new wave of British heavy metal and American metal scene. There was a certain kind of punk element or edge, um, uh, and and for that reason, I used to really like Anthrax in those days. I, I used to like Anthrax much more than I liked. Yeah, you used, you used to have a little T-shirt, didn't you? A little Anthrax T-shirt. Did I? To, I'm sure, and a little hat. Oh, I'm fuck sure off! I fuck off! <laughs> a I'm little sure hat. hat. And you used to come into the office. You used to have a New York accent. <laughs> I would come well, in did. in my little hat yeah, which and my skateboard under... Something. And you have one of those... You and Crusher definitely had those belts. Those oh, stupid belts. belts. Do you remember those? What and he's, he's said crush death. Yeah, but I didn't know You did. You did fucking I did. Bullshit. You did. You, oh, you no, did. I was like Jethro you out did. of the Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> I, I just used to have a, a rope around my waist. No. I was so poor in No, myself. you had an anthrax hat and a T-shirt. Fuck off. Had, an anthrax yeah, hat? Yeah. Definitely. Bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, I well, no, 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 no. I, don't, I think in the actuality, <laughs> we'll discover that that's simply not true. But then, you see, then, now, then Johnny's career sort of takes another turn mm. at, the, at the very end of the 80s when he discovers an extraordinary band. Well, it was actually like 87. And, and of course, because you, you know, I mean, you're mates with Johnny, so essentially you had, 
we all thought that you'd discovered I did. Metallica and Anthrax. And oh, now, no, I, no, I, that, no, I didn't discover that. After that, that no. you, you, Mick Wall, you, Mick Wall, discover King's X. That was me. Uh, Metallica wasn't me. Anthrax wasn't you me. You told me it was. Well, you know, you were just a young lad, yeah, you know, yeah. um, looking to the future. I was trying to give you some encouragement. No, no, um... I didn't jump on the Metallica bandwagon until Master of Puppets. <laughs> yeah, until they could start paying for flights and things. That's Too right, yeah. When you, get a, you don't want to yeah. be yeah. travelling around in the with no. Johnny Z. No, well, you know. I, mean, no, I don't mind Johnny. Um, uh, I, remember, <laughs> I remember him telling me um, the first time he went to Japan was with Anthrax. And he was, he was a big guy, Johnny, wasn't he? he was yeah. A big, big guy. And... Uh, he said uh, whatever he ate on the flight gave him such terrible stomach cramps that he, he got out uh, at the airport in Tokyo. He was doubled over Ooh, in pain, yeah, yeah. desperate for the toilet. And, and, and I'm trying very, to get into a Japanese <laughs> But they're all standing, they're all lined up bowing and it's all ceremonial. <laughs> yeah. Get out of the fucking way! Yeah, yeah. Where's the shitter? Where's the shitter? Oh, shut up, shut up. <laughs> If I want to open the doors in those things, it's impossible. Yeah, yeah so uh, he, a memorable entrance um, yeah. and exit, no doubt. Yeah. Um, King's no, X. King's X was for sure me, and and um, but not because I was out seeking new talent. I, I never did that. It just was luck, and it was Johnny. We'd gone. To, me and Ray had gone to New York uh, to do Ace Freely. Um, who by that point was it? Ace was washed up, wasn't he? Ace was a kind of washed up drunk who Johnny had picked up and basically dusted done down yeah, and, exactly yeah. and got him to make a record. Yeah. And he had some great musicians. I didn't realize at the time, but I mean, the, the drummer on that Ace, Ace Freely and the Comets yeah. is like 88. The drummer was Anton Fig, who, who uh, has played with everybody, but became like the house drummer on the David Letterman show. He was immaculate professional, mm. you know, um, and various other people that were very high-end players. And um, so I, uh, and so we did Ace Freely's Comet. Oh, there was a, like a melodic rock group Johnny had called Prophet. Oh, he did, that? yeah, Prophet. Yeah, they were good. I remember them. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh. I love them. They were, they were going to be big. They were going to be like Derek Oliver was. Yeah. Back practically weeping in the streets. <laughs> they were going to be the yeah. new journey. Yeah. They're going to be the new joiny. <laughs> you like joiny? I like joiny. Like Marco. <laughs> so, um, so did all that, and then and then we flew down to Texas to do this other band, and it was all sort of baked into the arrangement. But I don't think either one of us, you know. So we go to Houston and we meet King's X. And by now, Johnny's played me the record. And I realise, blimey, this is not Metallica. This is not Anthony. This is not Ace Freely. This is, it's actually not like anything. Is no. It? it was extraordinary. Extraordinary. Um, and uh, we went down, we interviewed them, we did the whole thing. But it wasn't really till I got back to London, where I lived in those days, and was sitting listening to that King's X album properly, it really hit me. I remember ringing Johnny. I was so blown away that I actually rang him on a Saturday morning for him, afternoon for me, just to say, 
Johnny, this is amazing. I was saying to him, stick out visions as a singer. Yeah, yeah. Don't forget the fucking radio. Put out visions. Make a statement. Oh, well, you know. Um, he quite rightly stuck out Goldilocks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, probably second. Th- first one was... Probably King, was it? Maybe King, King was, was the first one. Yeah. Which is a fantastic song. They used to, they used to open with that sometimes. Yeah. Fantastic song. Yeah. But um, I remember him saying to me, when I was asking him more about it, he was saying that they had a showcase for King's X in New York. So this is after Johnny's discovered them somehow. I think Sam Taylor, their original manager, was a kind of polite Christian version of Johnny, as in... Uh, well, he- yeah, I mean, look, here's the extraordinary thing, in that Johnny has done New York bands, as you say, he's got <laughs> now got Ace Freely. Is it... King's X are from Houston. They are led by a gay black Christian in Doug Pinnock. Yeah. Um, they are they're, they're a Christian rock band, but they're not saying they're a Christian rock band. Yeah. They, you know, it's it's implicit in the music. I mean, you say, you know, we mentioned the song King, mm. King is Coming. When you know they're a Christian rock band, mm. you get what the song's about. But well, well see, so, I, I didn't get any of no, that. No, I didn't. I didn't until no. I walked into the trap and Sam Taylor. It was like uh, he said to me, "Do you like C.S. Lewis?" I'm thinking, "What the Lion, the Witch?" I went, yeah. "No, no, I prefer Charles Bukowski." Yeah, yeah. Um, but then, it, because they were evangelical, so very quickly. You understand that we are Christians. You should be too. Yeah. Well, know? I think I think yeah. Uh, Out of the Silent Planet, which mm. is what the record is called, is a line from C.S. Lewis, isn't it? And, oh uh, right, right. And um, uh, yeah, all of that was there. And I've got a feeling that Sam Taylor, and I don't know why I think this had some connection to ZZ Top. I don't. He think... worked for Bill Ham, right? Who was ZZ right. Top's manager. So that was what kind of got them a slight leg up, yeah. As far as Johnny, probably, and yeah. then. You know, Sam, yeah. but so they make this record out of the Silent Planet, and it just does not sound like anything else. I remember when it when it came to the Kerrang office, and I think by that point you wrote cover, you wrote a story that Jeff Barton put on the cover mm-hmm. because he loved the album so much, and he used to play that album in the office as soon as he came in. He put on, and when I first heard it, and for about two or three weeks, I hated it. And I was, right not put that record on. and then after about two weeks, I just couldn't stop listening to it and it just clicked and it is it's still one of you know my favourites of it, it, hard it rock is records. one of the greatest it, rock and metal albums ever it, made yeah, it, it, it doesn't do it justice no, when you put it, it like that but, but it's incredibly influential because the kind of the three part harmony vocals which they you know they sort of pioneered and uh, the, the riffs that were intensely heavy but intensely melodic so they had all of the heaviness of Metallica, but you hear the roots of grunge in that very Completely. much. So you really hear the roots of grunge in that. Well, um, members of Pearl Jam were big fans. And well, I mean, you subsequently, yeah, exactly. You subsequently discover when grunge comes along that Out of the Silent Planet was a, a record that influenced all of them. Yeah. So you know, this was, although it never sold in huge numbers itself, it became this incredibly influential record. Some of the greatest, most influential music in history sold shit. Yeah. But but the effect yeah, was intense. Yeah, ripples out and ripples out, that's right. So here's Johnny. He's discovered Metallica, who also shook things up a little yeah. bit. He's discovered Anthrax. Oh, my God, he's done it again. Here comes King's X. I mean, the man had the magic touch. So he told me he... Brought them, but as he as he brought Metallica from San Francisco, but obviously it's a few years later, so 
a little bit more money. It's not just get a U-Haul and I'll hopefully mm. you make it, you know. He brings them to, flies them to New York and they do a showcase. And he said to me that every major label in New York sent someone to that show because by now Johnny's the guy with the antennae. Yeah, yeah. At least you can do is have a look. And Johnny hadn't seen them play live yet. He just signed them on the basis of the tape. And um, uh, he's going, they were fucking incredible, they are incredible. He goes, I'm walking around the venue and I'm saying to people, signed, they're signed, I have the contract, they're signed, fuck you, they're signed. You know? But the, here's the thing, was that, you know, when you heard the record, you just thought there's no way they can do this live, not three people. My God, they could do it live because they could all sing. That yeah, was the thing. They were brilliant musicians. Yeah, they were amazing musicians, but they could all sing as well. So yeah. they could actually do those three parts. I remember one of the most legendary arguments that sprang up in the Koran Sounds days was that King's X came over and played the marquee and they absolutely tore the roof off. It was when the marquee had just moved from Wardle Street to Charing Cross Road, if you remember. Yeah. So it was bigger and it had a balcony. Yeah. Um, and in consecutive nights, uh, there was uh, King's X, and the night before King's X was this American hair metal band called Kicks. Oh, I don't yeah. know if you remember that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember Kicks. Was that K I X? K I X. I think it was just K I X. I remember a massive argument between me, Paul Elliott, and Marianne Hobbs because she said kicks were way better. I mean, yeah. but it was like it was like you couldn't have said anything worse to me, especially as King's X played that gig. They absolutely tore the roof off. Those yeah, but she was looking at the, the butt of the singer <laughs> of Kicks, wasn't she? She loved Probably. a bit of hair metal. I mean, Kicks were... I've, I've, we've been to both gigs, and Kicks were okay, but, I mean, King's X were just... It's quite funny. You know, Marianne has a show now on Six Music. Right, right. It's like the the morning show after the breakfast show, and she's she just plays so much stuff that would sound good maybe in a, in a club playing house music or something. And she talks like that, you know. Yeah, that's what you have to do if you're on for but, a long but time. But when we knew her, when we knew her, she was a hair metal. Well, yeah, she was on. I mean, socialite. Really because, yeah, because you know, sounds had. And she used to bray Paul, like a donkey. Sounds had Paul Elliott, but then Paul moved over to Kerrang. So Marianne did a lot of the metal stuff on Sounds after that. I think she used to love L.A. Guns. Yeah, because well, Phil Lewis. It. Let's be honest, we all loved L.A. Guns. Yeah, yeah, yeah not yeah. so much. Not yeah. so much. Yeah. Um, they all love Phil Lewis's bottom. I know that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, we've diverged some. Oh yeah, kicks, kicks. Yeah. No, I agree. You were talking about kicks. They went on Megaforce. Johnny didn't get the get the. <laughs> Here's the future of rock and roll. And <laughs> he saw signed, signed, stay away. Um, but the weird thing is, it never happened. I mean, although he did a deal, Johnny did a deal with Atlantic, didn't he? It was definitely for King's X. I don't know if it was for everything on Megaforce. I can't remember that. But he definitely partnered with Atlantic on King's X and maybe a couple of other things. King's X blew it, in my opinion, because of Sam Taylor. If King, I don't know if Mencher or anybody ever sniffed around King's X, I'd be surprised if they didn't. Um, because they had their ear to the ground with Queensryche, Dan yeah. Reed Network, loads of bands. And um, if you can break Queen's right, you could break Queen's King's X. Well, Queen's X. Uh, that's, what they, that's what they should call themselves. It's <laughs> our new band, Queen's X. Yeah. No, listen, absolutely. Um, but I think Sam Taylor, uh, the, the window of opportunity closed, and 
sad. I remember going back for their third album, Faith, Hope, Love. Yes. And it, it was Groundhog Day. Sam, I went, the second time I went with Ross Halfin. And um, first time was with Ray Palmer. Did so Luke Ray, right. Ray got on well with them, I know, because I did a King's X thing with Ray. Because they kept feeding him beer, so he was happy. You well, know. no, no, and Ray was their sort of... I mean, you know... Listen, they had a chance, as Metallica, yeah, all these bands, yeah, yeah. to step up to the big leagues. And Sam uh, met us at the airport, and he tried to give us exactly the same tour that he'd given me and Ray which was intensely boring the first time around. <laughs> right. He took us to every fucking landmark in Houston in the middle of the night. Oh, that's where the 13th floor elevators did their first mm. gig, you know, and all this. And um, he tried to do the same. And I'm like, Sam, you did this the last time I came here. But this is Ross, and he isn't going to stand for it. And, of course, within minutes, Ross is like, I don't give a fuck about the 13th fucking floor Take me to my hotel. Hurry up. Yeah. Should have got a cab. <laughs> so poor old Sam came a cropper. He was too nice. I, mean, I remember um, uh, speaking to King's X once. It was over at Ray Palmer's studio. Do you remember? Were they, were they all wearing skirts? No, they weren't. But we, uh, I thought you had to wear a skirt to be photographed by Ray I in his studio. I'm not sure if they got in the studio. Skirt. Because weirdly, a few years ago, I saw the photo session again. And he did it outside. So, yeah, but um, Sam Trader had this, uh, he had this, yeah, he kind of, he was a sort of cowboy type guy, wasn't he? He had like a, what, he had a bootlace tie on. But he was Texan. Yeah, he had a bootlace tie and it had, it was one of like, one of those um, sort of see-through plastic, uh, I don't know what you call it, in the middle of a bootlace tie that joins it together and lets you pull it up. Oh, right, yeah, that like, like in the Scouts. Yeah, yeah, a, a, like a waddle or whatever it is, yeah. But, um, <laughs> In the middle of it, in this sort of clear set plastic, was a scorpion. Oh, so it was really? a dead scorpion. I thought you were going to say it was a no, cross. No, no, it was a scorpion. And I said to him, oh, that's good. And he just took it off and gave it to me. Really? Yeah. I mean, he was just like super nice. Can you imagine? It obviously fitted with my style. I mean, <laughs> I put it on straight away. <laughs> and I never stopped wearing it. Yeah, but that was when you used to wear your little anthrax cap as no, well, wasn't no, it? No, no, no. Yeah, oh, yeah. Because yeah. you changed yours for a King's X hat now. You're wearing, a, you're wearing a King's X hat. No, no, I, I, I was in a 10-gallon axle you, hat. You were seeing if you could do backing vocals on Goldilocks. <laughs> so Johnny, um, he was funny, funny, funny. And him and Marsha really were uh, a, a double act. I mean, obviously Marsha, I say obviously, but in their situation, Marsha took care of the family, the children. But there came a moment in the late 80s early 90s where they're just full-time running running the shop as it were running the store and um and they were formidable and um and lovable and real um and 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 i remember another time i can't remember the actuality but being in his office in new jersey and this is in the days and I used to do the show on Sky. And, and Johnny had seen oh, the show. Did you have a show on Sky? <laughs> yeah. Johnny had seen the show and he loved it. Um, and he said, look, you know, I'm going to get you on MTV. We're going to go to New York. We're going to meet the people. And they uh, go, stay there. And he puts it, he does this phone call, puts it on the speakers. And he's talking to some guy at MTV, mm. you know, called Irv or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
And they're both laughing, shouting at each other. It's the fucking Jews! They're everywhere! The fucking Jews! They've ruined this business! What are Jews doing in show business? Who ever heard of that? Fucking ruin everything! Anyway, Irv, I got big war! <laughs> and Irv's going, you know, I don't know who that is. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, you're going to love him! You're going to love him! You're going to love him! And um, nothing came of it. No. That's right. <laughs> you went out with the square eel, mate. That's what happened to you. I did, I did, yeah. Um, uh, but... Uh, did you stay? How how long were you in touch with Johnny and Marsha in the end? Oh no, only only. I suppose we did. I suppose that there was a point where he kind of. I don't know if he pulled back, but he was, certainly wasn't. I mean, with Metallica, with Anthrax, and all of that, he was very. Yeah. You know, there, he, yeah. He, he would he would like pick the phone up and tell you about what was happening. I think later on, he just you know they just ran the business, and then I think they well having read again the tributes they. They rather sweetly retired to Florida, which yeah. is what a lot of East Coast Americans do. You yeah. know, you cash in your chips and uh, go to the buy, buy yourself a condo <laughs> and live down there because it's nice, or a villa or something. Yeah, yeah. I think you're probably better probably than a, a villa. condo. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, sometimes some of them are nice, aren't they? Get the old, you know, they all go around and so American, golf cart. You're yeah, golf Amer- yeah, exactly. The American, <laughs> they, you know, they have they treat elderly people very well, and they have their own communities, and they have their own. If you got a bit of money, you know, they... Well, they definitely had money. I mean, even when I uh, went to the house in, like, 88 in New Jersey, it was a big place, you know. I mean, it's New Jersey, yeah. you know, so you get more bang for your buck. Yeah. But it was a nice place. Yeah, so I'm sure they did, they did good. They did good. They lived well. And then, um, uh, and you'll know, you'll remember better than me, was it last year that Marsha died? Yeah, I think Marsha died last year. About eight, probably 16, 17 months ago, something like that. Right, right. And then, yeah, as is quite often, often the way, Johnny. Yeah, you know, because they, you always think of them together. I don't. I, they were. They're a they partnership, were, you know. They were. Uh, I don't know if they were high school sweethearts, but they certainly were together from very young, and and they stayed together through thick and thin. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think they ever really changed. They were. Um, Johnny was Johnny. He never faked it. He never flim flammed it. And if you didn't like it, that was just tough shit. Yeah. Right. So Johnny, we loved you. Um, you held a very special place in our hearts, and and you discovered not just one of the greatest bands. Yeah. All the time. But two, two, not just two either, but three. Three if you count Anthrax. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would well, count Anthrax. Um, if you count either Death or Morbid Angel, <laughs> it's even more. Well, I, I think Anthrax definitely were very impactful, put it that way. They definitely... were, they were, I'm joking, they were, they were. They were big at the time, they were big, they were big. Anthrax was big as Metallica for a long while. Yeah, yeah, and better. Oh. To begin I mean, with. When, when they had you in their corner, then. <laughs> and, it, and then they stopped listening. And it all went wrong. Yeah. And on that bombshell. <laughs> 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. How do I stop this, Fern? 